1: And welcome to Secure and Insecure, hosted by Johnny Sefer This is the Celebrity Mental Health Podcast, where I say it's okay to not be okay. And if you have the same mantra as me, then before we get to today's guest, please subscribe or follow where you're listening or watching and leave a five-star rating and a review and click that follow and subscribe button, because we need to keep spreading the word it's okay to not be okay. Now let me tell you about my guest today. Yesterday is one of our best dancers in the United Kingdom, where you'll know him for seven years dancing on Strictly Come Dancing and then winning Dancing on Ice four years ago. Away from the screen, you will read a lot about him in the papers over the past few years, which normally involves his weight loss gains, as well as his sex life, which obviously we need to know all about every single week. However, today we're going to get behind the headlines and we're going to get to know the person that you know and love. So with thanks to ST for setting up this interview, I'm delighted to welcome to Second It's James Jordan. Hello, my friend. Hi, Johnny. Thanks for having me, bud. Thank you, mate, for talking about your sex life every week. You know?
0: <laughs> what do you want to know?
1: What want, what want to, well, it, it's not a case of what I do want to know, because I know everything already. I know how the sex life is going. I don't need to know anything else. Yes,
2: exactly.
1: <laughs> but look, it shows you've been married for 20 years and the love is still there. And I suppose that's what we need to take away from that.
2: Yeah, I mean, especially in the celebrity world, I mean, 20 years, is equivalent to 100, isn't it? Because I always read in the papers, oh, they've been in a long-term relationship for two years. I'm like, let's sit in the honeymoon period. That's still like early days. I've been with Ola nearly 24 years now, and I do feel we've kind of morphed into one person. I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, my, my girls are my world.
1: It's interesting what you said about you and Ola as as well, one, because I think it's very true that when you think of the pair of you, you kind of come as a pair now. How does that make you feel when, although you love her and everything like that, but in the media world that you have got your own identity, you've worked really hard to get to where you are. And sometimes it's like, well, Why do you need to pigeonhole me with my wife? I am also my own self.
2: Yeah, I mean, I remember when we used to do, like back in the Strictly days when it was in black and white, when I was on it, we used to do corporate events and things like that. And when people used to introduce us, they used to say, please welcome to the dance floor, Ola Jordan and her husband. (laughs) Really? Hang on one second, this is not right. But it, it doesn't actually bother me. We are married, we are together. The thing that bothers me more, I would say, is that you get pigeonholed as just a dancer, where I do feel I offer more than being just a dancer. I mean, I'm 45 years old now and I'm not gonna be breaking any dance records anymore um, or being in any major competitions. That, that Those days are behind me. So yeah, you, you still always get pigeonholed as just being a dancer.
1: Well, what do you want to be? Because we know Anton Debeck, obviously, back in the day when he was just a dancer on Strictly, then did um, Bring On The Wall, Hole In The Wall. And yes. then he kind of had a bit of presenting there, but then he kind of branched out, and same as Shirley Ballas now, they've both got novels as well. Whereas, you're right, when it comes to you, I would still go, he's a dancer or he's a reality star because he's done Steps to Big Brother and Coach him and whatnot. What do you, how do you define yourself now as a 45-year-old was a dancer, but now living in this weird celeb world.
2: Yeah, I mean, I have my fingers in a lot of pies. I have other businesses as well. Um, we've also got uh, our own fitness platform called Dance Shred. We both lost a lot of weight. So we, we kind of created this dance platform where we mix dancing with functional exercises. So all the dances that you see on Strictly, like the cha-cha, the paso, the jive, we teach the people all those dances and mix it with functional exercises. There's also um, a diet plan if people want to lose weight. If they don't want to lose weight and they just want to tone up, there's ways of doing that. Or if they just want to learn how to dance, it's great for that as well, which keeps us very busy. So we're doing that a lot of the time. Having said that, I loved being on TV. I love doing shows like Big Brother or Dancing on Ice, but I think... If I could think of the perfect job for me, what would it be? I'd like to get into presenting in some way, shape or form, but being a judge, I think was kind of made for me because I'm very honest and I think that's what people like about me and also dislike about me. Sometimes I say things that people want to say, but aren't brave enough to say, but I sleep well at night. You know, I I am what I am. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I say how I feel. I'm not saying I'm always right, I'm quite opinionated, but I always say the truth.
1: What happened there then? Is it the fact, and I hate to say this, but we both know what the industry is like, is that you're a straight, white, middle-aged man who is in a loving relationship, that there's no toxicity around you. There's no tick box in that. Yeah, you're right. You could have been a dancing nice judge easily. You didn't necessarily need to go and compete on the competition. They could have taken you like they did Rote, or you could have been on the Strictly lineup as a judge instead of Anton. But there's something that didn't quite work there. What do you think it was?
2: <laughs> you, t- you you said it, not me. They were your words. These better. are perfectly. These are all my words. They're, they're all your words. All I'd like to add to that is, I'm not a puppet. Um, I've been on TV shows. Like I was on Strictly for eight years. I know how to behave myself, and I work hard. I give a hundred percent. It's not all about me. The show is what is most important. However if I was going to be a judge, I wouldn't be told what to say. I wouldn't be, I would say what I believe is true. The same as now I'm working with Hello Magazine and I have my own show, which is on YouTube. Every Monday after Strictly Come Dancing, I do my own show with a TV and film editor. I go through all the dances, all the judges critique, um, whether I think they're right or wrong. And I give an it's called Strictly The Truth. So yes, I just believe maybe they're a little bit scared that I'm going to say the truth, but surely that's what the public want to see. The public have been watching Strictly now for nearly 20 years. They know what good dancing is and what isn't. So when they see something that isn't great and it gets a 10, they go, that wasn't worth a 10. So I'm now with Hello Magazine, got my own show, and I'm you know telling people the truth.
1: Because those that don't know, it's an industry. It's a show. It's a show for the BBC. It's the BBC's biggest show. And so, when you look at that lineup, and every year I look at the lineup, and I go, right, what's going on here between the lines? Is it that, for example, this year, Christian and Guri Murphy, they want to have it as the new anchor of News at Ten, and they're getting him into the audience. Last year, Molly Rainford did strictly; she was known a little bit for CBBC, but obviously for a very small amount. Then's in EastEnders, and so you're going, they're going to champion certain people and back them because they want them to become BBC stars of the future. And I think I'm right in saying that the judges, they don't get told what to say, but it's kind of hinted at to mark someone maybe a little bit more down or someone a little bit higher up just because they have to have a storyline narrative as well as part of the show. You know, you look at someone like Leighton Williams, obviously Leighton should be getting tens already, but they're going to be harsh on him and critique him lower because it doesn't fit the narrative and the
2: storyline that the producers want to tell. Um. Yes and no. I would definitely say, obviously, listen, Strictly is produced at the end, otherwise you wouldn't need a producer, right? So it is a produced show. I do think the judges, a lot of the time, kind of the critiques they say and everything are spot on it's only on occasions. And I go, why are they doing that? There has to be a reason for it because I know that categorically, if you're a judge on a dancing show, you have to know the difference between the technique and things like that. So that's why when I sometimes sit back, I go, I just don't understand it. It has to be because they're trying to keep them safe, trying to get them into a position on the leaderboard where they can't drop that low into the bottom two. There must always be an ulterior motive, which I, find a little bit annoying, really, because I think the show would be amazing if they just left it as it is. They do their judging. Judge it what you see. Mark exactly what you want to mark. The public then will vote for who they want to save. The show's still going to be amazing. Um, So, yeah, it does feel that, and I've spoke about it before, that sometimes um, possibly certain people get the best music which helps massively but it's the shows have always been like that there's you know it's it's very hard to change that and there will always be people that they want to get further in the competition and they might be able to help them in certain ways but it's it's that's just life isn't it it's not like it's it's not cheating it's just produced but it's different because
1: when Strictly started and especially in your era of the show the X Factor was so big at the same time. And so all the young ones were watching the X Factor. And if you think 2010, where Strictly really started to come into its own, One Direction were on the X Factor. That year had One Direction, Rebecca Ferguson, etc. So my generation was still very much ingrained in the X Factor. And it's only towards the end that the X Factor started going a w- bit weird and everyone started jumping over to Strictly. And so, I think that's when I joined Strictly. What? Two- just- no, you did not do it. Don't confuse <laughs> me. I've done my research. Don't start getting me wrong, because I know your agent very, very well, and I'll be having words with her afterwards. Um, and especially when you say how many things you've done. I mean, you've plugged about every single business possible. I don't know how you got zero hours. When you look at Strictly now, it feels like sometimes they're targeting a much younger audience. Whereas in the Len and Arlene days, it was very much this small show that was on BBC Prime Time. It had come off of Come Dancing, the original one from the seventies, and it fitted a much older demographic does that make sense
2: it does but having said that when i was on strictly with denise for example um that year i think the the peak was something like 15.2 million they're now hitting sixes and sevens so the the but tv is very different now isn't it to what it was back in those days having said that x factor was always in direct com- competition with strictly i remember yeah. one week they'd get the highest ratings and then the next week we would and they were always trying to move their times to, to, you know, suit each other. But then for whatever reason, X Factor started, you know, dropping off the radar strictly as maintained to be a very, very strong format. It, it just works. It's such a great show. It's just such a good feel uh, factor and, and great family entertainment, isn't it?
1: Especially in the world we're in right now, of- to have a bit of escapism for two hours a week, to just switch off from... The horrific news and i'm not just israel palestine but just in general is always good to have just some feel good tv and you look at what they did last week the hundred years of disney and it was just a beautiful dance it was just it like was. i can just relax for a minute just it was relax.
2: Stunning. it was so good i think the show this year um i didn't think movie week was that great but i think the show this year is gonna be absolutely amazing i'm, I'm loving it so far and i i love the lineup as well christian is my favorite. Um, I just think he's doing such a great job it's he's not the best dancer and as a professional dancer people would probably think oh he's he's gonna be looking for the best I'm looking for to be entertained and he entertains me the most at the moment Um, and I just hope that continues.
1: But even though we said earlier on maybe he'll go to the news at 10 it's not like he's doing this as an audition to get on the West End stage and it's not like he's auditioning to be given an entertainment show on the TV. He would be only given a BBC golden cuff deal to do documentaries and the news. And so I sometimes think, well, yes, he's entertaining, but are they going to hold that entertainment value for other people later down when we get to couples choice and the contemporary dancers, because that's where we can really see the stars who can then have a further career based on the Strictly factor.
2: Yeah. I mean, I mean, you had Les Dennis, didn't you? I I thought he was such a genius booking. I love him. He could have been a Krishnan, couldn't he? And then, then you'd be saying the same thing: of, "Oh, they're trying to push him." Not Krishnan is just good. He's just mm. got something really special. He's very endearing. I think the public love him. He's he's normally do something very very serious, and now he's on Strictly in sequins and Lycra, and he's doing a really really good job, as they all are. Um, but it, it is a difficult one. I. I Just think sometimes the the judges get it wrong.
1: And final, final question, Strickland, and then we have to move on. Yes. Do you think that the dancers, when we look at the type of dancers available, hold on, two set, hold on, let me just get the door, hold on, oh, Sorry, mate. I've got the builders, and and they're driving me mad today. Um, do you think when we look at those type of dances now, like for me personally, maybe it's because I don't know anything about dance, but the Paso Doble for me just bores me. If I see something in Paso Doble, I'm off of it. What I like seeing is the couples' choice and the contemporary and the Charleston and the Quickstep and those more fun ones. Do you think the dances need to change to reflect the era that we're in now of the audience of not being so classical, boring, and having those fun dances?
2: No, I don't. I totally and utterly, I'm going to disagree with you. The reason Strictly was such a success was because it was Borum and Latin dancing. And I actually think that if the dances are choreographed correctly, if you see a really decent Paso, like, for example, week one, you had Nigel doing the Paso Doble, surely you have to agree it was a fantastic dance. Yeah, I agree. I just think it's more down to how talented the individual is as to whether the dance is good or not. A good rumba, although it's really slow, can still be amazing. A beautiful romantic waltz. Now they're doing street dance and things like that. It's not So You Think You Can Dance. So You Think You Can Dance no longer runs in this country for a reason, because it got boring, predictable, people don't want to watch it. The reason Strictly is still going so strong is because for whatever reason, people love Boreham and Latin dancing, the man leading, the lady following, that intimacy that you have. When you have street dancing, they're dancing side by side, copying each other. That's not what Strictly is about for me. So I'm sorry. I have to totally disagree with you, Johnny. You're right. Well,
1: that is because of our age difference, my friend. Talking of age, you're 45 now. As you look to that second half of your life and you look at the incredible things you've achieved in the first half of your life, how do you feel at the moment in the direction that the life of James Jordan is going?
2: It's almost like you would compare dancing, I suppose, to a footballer's career that um, you get to a certain point in your life where you can no longer do what you used to be able to do because there's younger ones that can do it better, they're faster, they're quicker. Time moves on, as you said, that they get better at doing what you used to do. Um, and you have to kind of try and diverse into something else, which is what we are trying to do as best we can. But it's difficult when you've done something your whole life, if you're in media and you, you can do that up until you retire, really. But, you know, in in my profession, dancing, yes, I could go and teach, but I can't do what I love and and, Like go and dance and perform i can't really realistically do that because my body physically won't do what it used to do now um so it's about diversing and trying to yeah do more stuff and as you
1: say you've got other businesses and obviously you're very busy right now with everything else that's going on with hello magazine or weight loss diet plans and whatnot um but as we look to further down your line Have you thought about, you know, when it gets that point where you can't do anything anymore and you really do become immobile, whether you're going to look at, for example, going to a care home or if you're going to have someone look after you at home, have you had those conversations yet?
2: I often, yeah, I often joke with my wife about things like that. I mean, it's such difficult conversations, isn't it? Because... I've been through a similar kind of process with my dad not so long ago, where he obviously he he passed away, he had a brain tumor. I know that his father went into a care home and that was really tough on the family, seeing your loved one diminish in front of you and you go and see them and see things that perhaps you shouldn't have to see. So I, I would never want to put my child, who's only currently three years old, through what I saw my dad go through and what he saw his dad go through. But unfortunately, it's at the moment, it's one of those things that there's no alternative, really, is there, unless you go to Switzerland. And it happens to many people uh, that they have to go through things, which is so tough. And Mm. I always had empathy for people losing loved ones. You know, I lost my grandparents and things like that. But when you lose someone really, like my dad was super, super, super close to me, And it put me in a really dark place for a good year, year and a half. I was not in a good place, hence why I put on so much weight and everything. It's tough, man. Life can be tough, but I don't know the answer. I really don't know the answer, so I couldn't say.
1: We're going to talk about your research with SST in a second, but I just want to touch on your grieving process. And those who are listening, if you need help with your grieving process, griefencounters.org.uk is an amazing website and charity that will help you. You said you went for a really dark time to get there and it took you about a year. What took you out of that? Because it's, it's very hard. To, everyone's got their own individual grief journey that they go on. What was your journey to get to the other side?
2: I think not only was it time, because people often say, don't they? Oh, time heals. It doesn't heal. I, I still wake up most days and I think about my dad and it hurts just the same as it did when he passed away or even when I found out, his diagnosis, because I feel that I grieved for him on more than one occasion. When when I sat in front of the doctors and they told me that he had a terminal brain tumor and he had maximum 12 months to live, it broke me from then living with that for the 12 months. And then when he passed away, I felt I grieved again. And I always class myself as a really strong person it broke me like it, nothing has ever broke me before. And I hold my hands up and say, I was in a really bad place. I wasn't really much help to my wife or my daughter. I grieved really, I would say almost selfishly. I wasn't in control. I was hallucinating. I was waking up in the middle of the night in hot sweats. I was in a really bad way. And I think not only time it got slightly easier, but it was when my wife, she gave me my time that I needed to grieve, but then she came to me and she said, look, your dad would not want you to, and I know he wouldn't, because my dad was a really strong old school, come on, got to crack on, it's part of life, it's part of growing up, life is gonna throw things at you that you've got to get through. And I started trying to think a little bit in my dad's mindset, because he's a very different person to me, he's a much stronger person than I am. And I started trying to get into his headspace. How would he deal with it? What would he say to me? What would he do? And I felt because I've given myself that time to grieve, I could start to think about it more logically, about what I was going through, instead of feeling sorry for myself and hated, hated the world, man. I uh, Because they couldn't save my dad. I think that, yeah, I just kind of had that time and to reflect and Ola speaking to me about, you know, you've got to think of your daughter. And yeah, I was thinking about it wasn't just about me. And I was being quite selfish with my grieving process, I suppose.
1: You talk about your dad's strength. He went through a lot of pain as well in the care home as well when it comes to incontinence. And you're working with Essity for this campaign and why you're here today. So do you want to just take me through the research that they've had?
2: Well, t they they obviously knew about my own personal experience with my father and losing him. Uh, and they contacted me. And I remember speaking about when my dad rung me from hospital, because obviously it was during lockdown. No one could be with him. And he want, he was crying on the phone. Come and get me. Please come and get me. I don't want to stay here anymore. Because he had a brain tumour, he kept having seizures. And when he would come round, he wasn't able to speak properly. He wasn't able to communicate and You could kind of understand him and all he would say was come and get me. But he said to me once he got his speech back and everything, this was over a 12 month period where he was in and out of hospital, not being able to go and see him. He said the hardest thing for him was the fact that he wasn't able to use the toilet facilities because where the first time he went in, he was put in a COVID ward. And then he contracted COVID, so he wasn't able to leave the ward. There was no toilet facilities there, and he found that really difficult, like for his dignity and everything. Being a very proud man, after doing my own research on it and speaking to Essity, the fact that there are options, you know, and and they are taking the cheaper option of of getting incontinence pads, for example, instead of these pants that you can pull up, which cost pennies more. For me, it's just a no brainer because the the ones that they're currently using leak, the ones that they could provide, they're able to use themselves. So it would free up beds as well, because there's a lot of people that stay in hospital purely for the reason that they're not able to change themselves because they're so difficult to use and they leak and things like that. And then the nurses have to spend more time with them changing them. So it's just although they feel like they're saving money at the beginning, in the long term, they're actually costing much more money. And one thing no one can ever buy is time. And I always say if the government, you know, when when they're purchasing these items for the NHS or whether it's the Department of Health, if they had both pads in front of them, which one would they want their loved one to be in? I know which one they're going to choose. And we're talking about pennies. So it's just something that I wanted to be part of because we were fortunate enough that through my dad's end of life care we had at home help because he we we wanted him at home with us but my dad many years before said he never ever wants his family to change or wipe his bum because he had to do it to his father so that was something that we wanted to respect for him and we were fortunate very very fortunate that we had amazing care The NHS provided amazing care for us. But if you can speed up their process as well by giving them these correct, because the other pads are not fit for purpose. So if you can give them something that's fit for purpose, that they're not having to clean up after themselves all the time because of the leakages and things like that, costing them more time, more work, more grief dignity to them as well, because they're doing something that no one particularly wants to do. They're doing jobs that no one really wants to do. You know, no son should have to do to their father. So we were very fortunate. But if you can help the nurses in the NHS as well, it's a no brainer for the sake of a few pence.
1: so heartbreaking to hear james talk like that about his father and what his experience of the care system is like you know when you put someone into the care system you're trusting them with your person your relative your family's life and to think that things like that can happen it's just absolutely horrific so my thanks to James for raising awareness SAT online is where you can find out more information about their campaign and what they're trying to get the government to do as James said it only costs pennies so why are we not spending the money in the right places and obviously we spoke about Strictly Come Dancing of course and if you like Strictly Come Dancing there are episodes on security and Secure and Insecure of people like Diane Boswell, Commander sakho Up, Georgia Mayfoot and Katie Piper and if you enjoy and Secure and and you learned something from the episode you liked a bit of the Strictly gossip or you want more information about the care system and you want to support Secure basically is what i'm trying to say where i can keep spreading the word it's okay to not be okay then please do help me spread the word what i need you to do if you're listening on itunes apple music spotify wherever you're listening give that follow button a click and then leave a five-star rating and a review and if you're watching on youtube give that thumbs up a click Then click the subscribe button and then leave a comment. Let's keep spelling the word it's okay to not be okay. On social media, on Instagram, at Johnny Seafoot, at Skin Insecure Podcast, on TikTok, at Johnny Seafoot92, and on X, the Twitter, at Johnny Seafoot. I put loads of teasers of all the episodes out there and just keep having that conversation in that community that it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seafoot. Thank you so much for watching or listening. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.